Welcome to the Living Word Podcast. To find out what we're up to, check us out online at dlwc.network. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. It's going to be a joy for me, really an honor for me in the least, to, to, to say the least, to be able to share with you fundamental good news. And it's good news for everybody. And I'm going to share it with a little bit different spin because I want to show you that God has been good and after you for longer than you think. God had a redemptive plan all the way from Genesis chapter number 3. And I want to share, you, share with you, come on, there's, there's significant events that have happened over the millennia of time. And in time and antiquity, those things have been covered over and forgotten. But this story will never be forgotten. It is powerful gospel, and I I just want you to know that the significance of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus helped to pull the curse and the fall and its result off of every one of our lives. And I'm going to do the best I can to explain that today, because when humanity fell, the planet fell with him. And with that, every malady known to humanity came out of a fall, not out of the will of God. As a matter of fact, it took disobedience to even bring it. But I want you to understand through the obedience of one, Romans chapter number five says, through the obedience of Jesus Christ, many shall be made righteous. Through the fall of one, many became sinners. By the obedience of one, many can become righteous. And today that can be your story. And it's got to be more than religion. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it here in just a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is a great, great story. And the quality of this story isn't the fact that it's just a great story. It's true. That's what makes it great. And so today, the impact on each one of us and the the deep history that the resurrection of Jesus has for each one of us today is something to be celebrated by all of us. Let it touch you. Just open up your heart. And don't put a religious head on. It'll just make you miss it. Come on. How many of you know you you can go to church without being the church? Amen. And so today, it's more significant than that. Matter of fact, if you were to shove religious, religion at me in the day that I really needed the Lord and, and so forth, and you just, you just shoved more religion at me, I would have rejected that completely. But when I found out the story was true, it changed my life. Hallelujah. And so I say that to all of you to just simply know I've, I've got all kinds of grave clothes that the Lord had to take off of my life. But I stand here as a testimony of the redeeming power of Jesus. And it's a significant story that will impact the entire world and put hope back into the lives of everyone. It's a very contemporary sort of a hope that lives in Jesus all the time. You know, Luke chapter number 19 says this, that the Lord came to seek and to save that which is lost. You know, Jesus was in the house of a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the religious crowd started to criticize Jesus. And Jesus said, I came to call the sick, heal the sick. It's the sick that need the physician. I came to call sinners to repent, not the righteous. And so Jesus hung around with folks that were not church people. And he saved them, and he changed their lives. And they were all impacted by what he did and what he said because it was so authentic and real. Today's the same story. Today, God wants to do something amazing. And again, as I said, Genesis chapter number 3 is where the story starts with the fall. But a pattern was started all the way from Genesis chapter number 3 when God said to the enemy, the devil, he said, I'm going to send the seed of this woman. 
and he's going to bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel, signifying a suffering Savior would one day come. And God started pointing towards another day. And down through history, God began to make covenants. And there was a guy named Abram that he found. And Abram was a, was a fellow that, that honored God, but he didn't know God. And all of a sudden, God shows up and he says, you know, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to make my covenant with you. And he said to him in Genesis chapter number 17, verse 17, he says that I will establish my covenant between you and me, your descendants after you in their generation for an everlasting covenant. And so God began this, this covenantal relationship that a nation would rise out of this man that was unable to have kids, Sarah, his wife. And suddenly now they, they not only celebrate God's goodness in their life and God blesses Abraham, but then Isaac comes along and he passes the covenant blessing to, to Isaac just like he said he would. And, and then to Jacob, which becomes Israel. And Israel has one of his sons named Joseph. And, he, and during a time of famine... Joseph goes to Egypt. God gave him a dream, and he fulfilled that dream and saved the entire family, the whole, the whole what was about 70 people during that time, and brought them all into the land of Goshen, and they multiplied like crazy. And then time goes on, and the favor and the, and the, the understanding, the honor that was given to Joseph and then to his family began to erode as time went along. And 400 years, how many of you know you can forget a lot of things? And 430 years later, Pharaoh is now whipping them and making them to build monuments and build the, the groundwork of, of Egyptian uh, idolatry and, and build it for Pharaoh. And he's whipping them and he's torturing them. They multiply and he thins them out by killing their children under the age of two. And, and so many different things are going on. The Bible says that the children of Israel cried out to the God of Abraham. And God heard their prayer. And it sent a stuttering prophet by the name of Moses. Come on, how many of you know when God sends an answer? It's the unlikely. <laughs> and Moses showed up one day into Pharaoh's house in obedience to God. And he said, God says, let my people go. They're supposed to come out of bondage. You've had them long enough. It's time for them to leave. Pharaoh had hardened his heart and he wouldn't let the people go. And so God ended up sending plagues by his powerful hand. You see, Israel knew the stories of Abraham, but they weren't acquainted with the power that Abraham knew. They, weren't, they knew the stories. There's a lot of folks that know the stories, but they don't know the power. They've heard about salvation, but they've never experienced the power of it. The life-changing nature of the presence of God and the difference that he makes in a life that just opens your heart and receives him. It's kind of like that old story that I heard about that guy went out in his backyard and his neighbor was working in his backyard and he put a tightrope across about a foot and a half off the ground. He tied it to a couple of pegs and he got his wheelbarrow out and he stuck his wheelbarrow up on that, that tightrope and his neighbor said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to wheel this, this barrel right across this rope. I'm going to walk across this rope. He said, really? I don't, can you do that? He said, well, watch me. And he, he gets his wheelbarrow up there and he, he walks right across the yard. His neighbor's clapping like, wow, that was awesome. He said, you hadn't seen anything yet. He said, come on. He, they strung that rope between the two houses. And he said, well, he said, do you think I can make it? He said, I believe you can. He got his wheelbarrow out there and so forth. And he starts wheeling across, wheeling across the deal there and so forth. And he gets out of Christ. All, the, all of a sudden, all the neighbors are watching now. Oh, they're all clapping. Whoa, that was amazing. 
He said, come on. He gets his wheelbarrow, throws it in the back of the truck, goes downtown, a couple of skyscrapers. He gets up there in the skyscraper, and he says, you think I can do it? Now the media is gathering, people down on the street looking up at him and gasping and awe and so forth. He says, you think I can make it? And the neighbor says, I think you can make it. You can do this. He said, be careful. I think you can make it. He gets his wheelbarrow out there and so forth and walks across that rope. And all of a sudden, he makes it across. Man, now all the networks are watching him. And he says, come on, let's go to Niagara Falls. They throw it in the truck and they go up to Niagara Falls. And once they get up there, all the networks are there. Thousands of people are gathered. The word has gotten out. And the guy gets his wheelbarrow out there and he looks at his neighbor. He says, this is a big one. He said, you think I can make it? He said, I think you can make it. He said, okay, jump in. How many of you think it's the difference between believing from the barrel? There's a lot of folks that believe in Jesus, but they've never trusted on Jesus. And it's the difference between religion and a life of faith. And today, you can transition from one to the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't die on a cross to give you a place to go on Sunday. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to do the journey of life with you every day of your life. To, to the point where he'll say, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you in the journey. God's been blamed for a lot of bad stuff, but you're going to have to look back to Adam. That's where the chaos started. Jesus has been fixing the problem ever since. And that's the story of the gospel. The good news is the fix is in the vaccine is delivered. Does that help? So Israel had existed, and they had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had existed with the stories in their minds, but absent of the life in their hearts. They were alive, but they weren't really living. They were existing, yet they were bound, working for Pharaoh. They had a promise, but they didn't consider it to be possible until Moses showed up and displayed the power of God. Suddenly, hope begins to rise in their hearts. Maybe that's happening for you right now. You've heard the stories about Jesus, but for some reason, you got tangled up in bondage here and there. You found yourself trapped in a culture filled with anti-God sort of rhetoric and maybe even racial hatred in your life. Maybe there's been events in your, in your life that have impacted you and reinforced bad decisions and, and so forth. And you find yourself in a, in a circumstance, the culture of Pharaoh has set in on you. And you know, after 400 years, that can happen. It can happen in four months. It can happen in four years. And so today... There's a story to be told in this because they were on that God sent Moses to bring them a word of deliverance that would bring them out of bondage and into purpose, out of bondage and into destiny. And so God said to, to Pharaoh through Moses, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so God ended up bringing plagues into the land. It, the people of God were exempt from those things, but it came into the land. And so they, they had frogs, they had water turning into blood, they had lice, they had all kinds of different things going. And 
Pharaoh continued to harden his heart until the tenth one came. And the tenth plague was the death of everything that was firstborn in all of Egypt. And so God gave him a remedy, and the answer was a lamb. And so they were to take, the head of the household was take a, a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb, bring it into the, do, into, the, into the house before this plague came, and they were to slay that, that lamb, and they were to catch its blood in a basin, and then take the blood and put it on the doorposts of the house and on the header, not underfoot, but over the head. And when the angel of death came to Egypt that night, it would pass over that house because of the blood. And so it's called Passover. And so they experienced that and exactly what happened that night. It, it, was, it was the plague of the, first, of the death of the firstborn where everywhere where there was no blood. The lamb had to be taken on the inside and roasted. And, so, and, the, and the Bible says God commanded the, the entire household, no leftovers. you got to eat the whole thing. Come on, how many of you know you got to get more than just a little bit of Jesus dabbed on you? I know I'm talking to somebody who's backslid in the house. A little dab won't do you. It takes more than that. They had to consume the entire lamb, no leftovers. And they, the Bible says they were to eat it with bitter herbs and they were eat, to eat it with unleavened bread. Leaven is a type of sin in the Bible. Leaven causes things to rise or to get puffed up. Come on, how many of you know comes, pride comes before destruction, the Bible says. It's the source of all sin. And so no leaven. So they, they would then eat with their shoes on because what they were saying was, we're not staying, we're leaving town. And so the Egyptian standards had set in on them, but God was about to deliver them not only from the land, but also the culture of Egypt. And so they experienced presence. They experienced the word of God. They, their exodus, God brought them out with a mighty hand. It was a terrible day in Egypt wherever there was no blood, but they, the new day dawned on a brand new day of deliverance. After 430 years of bondage, they were marching out of the bondage. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 105, it says that there wasn't a feeble one among their tribes. There must have been a miracle take place across the landscape. These people worked for Pharaoh under the whip of, of taskmasters, and the Bible says there wasn't one feeble one among their tribes when they left. Amen. It wasn't because they were well treated. It's because a miracle happened when the lamb got on the inside. Come on, somebody. Yes, yes, yes. And so through the years, the pattern of Passover continued as a yearly remembrance of this great deliverance. And so the Bible says that on the 10th day of Nisan, which is the month of April, on the 10th day of Nisan, the Passover would begin and lambs would come in and they would bring them out from the pasture lands and eventually those traditions would be changed. It wouldn't be the head of the households. It would be the high priest of the tabernacle would, would take of the temple flocks from around Jerusalem and there they would bring them into town for inspection. And on the 11th, 12th, and 13th day of Nisan, they would inspect them for blemishes and flaws because it had to be a perfect lamb, flawless, spotless. And so they would inspect them. It, it, the, the life of the firstborn was at stake here. And so finally, the lamb was then taken inside and roasted, and, and they no longer needed to put blood on the door, but, but they were remembering by way of the lamb. They would eat it with the bitter herbs and the spices and, and, the, and the unleavened bread, and, and they, would, they would eat in silence, and they would eat with their shoes on. And so during this time, it was an interesting thing that 
that not only would they, would they eat this, but then they would begin to sing the halal, the halal, which is Psalms 113 to 118, and they begin to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, somebody. And it was a beautiful day of celebration, remembering the great deliverance of coming out of bondage and into their purpose, into their assignment, into the presence of God. And so on the 10th day of Nisan, the, the flocks and the herds would come into town on the 10th day and the 11th, 12th, 13th day of Nisan, the lambs were inspected on the 14th day about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The lambs were slain, taken inside and roasted. In Jesus' day, during this festival, during time, the prophetic utterance that Messiah would one day come, all the way from Genesis chapter number 3, the Messiah was prophesied to come, the Redeemer, the one that would be the perfect sacrifice. And so they knew that he was coming, and so at the table of Passover, they would put a couple of elements. They would put a cup, and they would turn it over, and it would be called Messiah's cup. And there was a chair at the same place at the table, and it was Messiah's chair, and they'd lean it against the table. And then the head of the household would tell about the great deliverance from Egyptian bondage, and that one day that Messiah would come, and he would save the entire nation. He would save the world. And so that story was told time and time and time again. And during Jesus' day, it would certainly would have been the story that was told, Messiah's cup and Messiah's chair right there. And there was a bag with three loaves of unleavened bread in it. And then the, the head of the household would take that bread out, break it, and to give it to each one of them, begin this, the Seder meal, if you will. I'm here to tell you, after 1,500 years of that, Jesus Christ is our Passover. 1,500 years later, Jesus takes his disciples into an upper room. Hallelujah. And he has this beautiful feast. I wonder if anybody, anybody remember... Why all the hullabaloo going on on triumphal entry day on the Palm Sunday? What was going on? I'll tell you what was going on. It was the 10th day of Nisan. Jesus arranged for a donkey to ride him into Jerusalem from Bethany. And he came down that hill into Jerusalem. And he was coming in town the same time the rest of the lambs were coming in town on the 10th day of Nisan. And then yet, did you ever wonder why so much of the week, the last week of Jesus before the crucifixion, why so much of it takes up so many pages of your Bible in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I'll tell you why. Because it was while the lambs were being inspected for flaws and blemishes, they were interrogating Jesus, asking him entrapping questions, trying to find a place that they could take a perfect man and accuse him of something wrong and they could find no wrong in him. Every time he'd answer them, he'd come up with a perfect answer and they would leave scratching their head with nothing but just wishful thinking in behalf of his enemies, religious enemies. Even Pontius Pilate said, I can find no fault in this man. There's no reason for him to be crucified. I'm going to let him go. They said, give us Barabbas instead. Give us that thief and murderer. We want him. You, you crucify Jesus. And religious people are mean now. I'm telling you. How many of you ever run into Sister Sandpaper at church? Anybody? <laughs> She'll rub hide clear off of you. <laughs> Jesus took his disciples to that upper room, and there the table was set, and everything was prepared by the Lord just to his specifications and there was Messiah's cup and Messiah's chair that no one had ever sat in. And suddenly Jesus pulls the chair out, sits in Messiah's chair. He fills Messiah's cup with wine. And he takes that 
middle loaf of those three loaves out of that bag of unleavened bread, and he breaks it, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he takes the cup, and he says, this is the cup that Abraham was promised long ago. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood. And he passes it to each one of them. And then he goes to Gethsemane, and there he prays. And there he's betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And the Bible says that the soldiers came and carted him away and took him to the council of the Sanhedrin. And there they mocked him and they, they accused him. And Jesus opened up his mouth, didn't open up his mouth in his own defense. He remained silent like a lamb before its shearer is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And the Bible says they took him from there to Herod and from Herod back to Pontius Pilate. And he said, I can find no fault with him. But the Jews wanted to crucify him, and there Jesus Christ was taken up Golgotha's hill at 9 o'clock in the morning on the ninth day of Nisan. And there Jesus, bleeding on that rugged cross, died for my sins, and he died for yours. That the sure enough punishment that would come to you without, without variation. The Bible says God will in no wise clear the guilty. That the, the standard is not just, just a little good, not a lot good, it's perfection. And there was only one that qualified to save us, and it was the Son of God. The one that could take your sin is the the guy that had none of his own. Somebody says, isn't there many paths to God? Nope, just one. There's only one that qualified. His name is Jesus. To take the sin and the accusation and, and the disobedience and the history of failure off of our lives and to set us free from the curse that came because of the fall. Why do miracles happen today? Because the fall has no hold on you. Hallelujah. The king demonstrates the fact that the curse is no longer ruler over your life. It's good to be saved. Come on, somebody. His body was broken. His blood was staining the the rugged cross. And the same day that was going on, lambs were being slain all over the temple courtyard and lambs being distributed to households all over Jerusalem that day as people were receiving Passover. And at 12 o'clock, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the entire world goes dark for three hours. From 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock, a total eclipse takes place, and the world is in darkness. And the Bible says, Jesus speaking, into thine hands I commit my spirit, and it is finished. And the Bible says there, Jesus died on the cross. He died in my place. He died for you. You might not have even acknowledged him. You might have been one of the Roman soldiers that would have pierced his hands with that nail. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of folks that don't know what they're doing. But today, under the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, under the simplicity and the power of the story of the gospel, the Bible says that the people standing by notice he's dead. Mary and Mary Magdalene were watching and John was right there with them and they acknowledged he's dead. Pontius Pilate even found out that he was dead and he said he's dead. The soldiers said he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea said he's dead. No doubt at that point, the demons and the demon spirits of hell began to celebrate he's dead. We have stopped the Redeemer. We've stopped the Messiah. We thought for sure he was going to change everything, but we got him. He's dead. And no doubt some demonic celebration began to, began to happen in the caverns of hell. 
But if they would have only known. They would have never crucified the Lord of glory. On Friday, he suffered. On Saturday, he suffered. In death, he laid cold in a borrowed tomb. But on that first Easter morning, a flash of divine power hit the Son of God. Breath came back into his body, and Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. God said, it is enough. Christ has been paid. Jesus has satisfied the claims of justice upon all of humanity, times past and times future, that it was the centerpiece of all of humanity. Everything that Passover speaks of prophetically pointed towards Jesus. In this first Easter morning, he would be, as John said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was that Passover. He bruised the serpent's head. He stripped the devil of his authority. He took the keys of death and of hell. He unlocked Abraham's bosom and led captivity captive with a great and mighty resurrection celebration. Jesus said, I am he that is alive and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He's the firstborn. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He's the firstborn among many brethren. When he got up, we got up. That is the story of the gospel. It is no mistake. From the very beginning of the fall, God said, I'm going to redeem it all. And that is the courageous, heroic story of a God who would step out of a perfect place into a flawed, fallen place and allow suffering to take place in his own body, the ultimate act of love. He that could not be touched allowed himself to be crucified. And it was all because of you. Mission accomplished. You were it. You were why he did what he did. Christian churches shouldn't be a museum for the saints. It ought to be a hospital for the hurting, for the desperate. It should be a place where anyone can find answers because God's for every one of us. For God so loved this world with all of its flaws, failures, Yet bearing the image of God, being marred by sin, God untwisted the whole thing, pushed the devil off of the authority of your life and said, I'll be the Lord of who you are now and everything will straighten out just fine. And we, like they did in Passover, get to walk out of bondage with the lamb inside. What a difference the lamb of God makes. Now you know why Jesus said you must be born again. He was talking about his own death, his burial, and resurrection. And when Jesus was born again, he made a pathway for every single one of us. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father unless you walk across the bridge that I'm making for you because I'm the way. 
Somebody said, in there many paths to God? Nope, only one qualified to save you, and it's him. You don't need another way. The Bible says, come boldly into the throne of grace and obtain mercy. Say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Listen, Jesus didn't die for perfect people. He died for people that messed up life like me. Hallelujah. He died for people like us. Come on, look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. People that mess up in life. People that have flaws and failures. Matter of fact, people that end up in prison. God is good to all of us. And wherever the gospel finds you, it's got the power to change us. The gospel opens up a door of our hearts and God wants to walk right through and all it takes is getting in the wheelbarrow. Not just looking through the the open door and say, I believe the story. You got to walk through the door. And at some point you got to say, I'm transferring my trust from a religious condition to a wheelbarrow life with Jesus. I'm going to put my faith not just in him, I'm going to put it on him. And I'm going to ride him into a brand new life. I'm going to take the invitation that God made for a failure like me. And I'm going to take his invitation with thankfulness in my heart. And I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. You didn't have to, but you did. You died for me. You took all the penalty that I accumulated in my life with unrighteousness and you nailed it to your cross. And now Colossians chapter number one says it this way. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Sounds something like Pharaoh? Sound like something coming out of bondage? He has delivered us from the powers of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Now the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen, if he weren't good, he would have never sent a son to do all of that. But he sure sent him. He sent him for you. Bow your heads with me across the room. And those of you watching at home in the sanctuary of your living room right now, God wants to do something powerful in your life. And in these next five minutes, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. It's a decision based upon hearing the gospel. The Bible says, he that hears the word of God and believes it, the Bible says, those are the people that believe on him and just confess him with their mouth, they shall be saved. For with the heart a man believes or a woman believes on Jesus and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In a moment, we're going to pray. And I want you to know something, and it's good news for all of us. Even if you feel distant from God today, we're glad you're here. This whole day, God set up this whole day just for you. And so today... If you say, I feel far from God, yet the door is open for you. You can walk out of bondage, no matter what the bondage was. And you can walk right into the arms of a Savior that will love you, bless you, help you, change you from the inside out. You say, well, Pastor, I've got to clean some things up before I can come to God. Wait a minute. They hadn't left Egypt, but the lamb was already on the inside. They ate the lamb that night. They didn't leave till the next morning. What am I saying? 
You don't clean up and come to God. You come to God and he cleans you up. You come to God like you are with the idea of repentance. Lord, show me the right way and I'll walk in it. Show me the power of the Holy Spirit that I need in my life. And I'll, and I'll use that strength that you give to me. And I'll begin to walk life, not in my own strength, but I'll walk in the strength of God. That I'll, I'll never have another lonely moment because I'll never be alone again. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Today can be that day for everyone in this room. Even if this is your first time to ever be in church, you heard gospel. You heard the gospel of Jesus. It's all the fundamentals. You don't have to know it all. You just need to believe the part I gave you. Because if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. He will save you from a dreadful, dreadful future. And he did it because he loves you. With your heads bowed across the room and those of you watching online, how many of you would say, Pastor Pat, I need to pray that prayer. I need to ask Jesus into my life and I need it to be more than religion. I need it to be a real request for the Son of God to come into my life. Would he come, Pastor Pat? Would he come? You don't know where I've been. I'm not the one that made you the promise. I don't have to know. The one that made the promise and will keep the promise is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said... They that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to him, he's going to receive you. If you'll repent for your sins, he'll forgive you. We'll say, well, don't I have to do something else, friend? You couldn't do anything to add to what the Son of God did. He was hung on a cross between heaven and earth and died in your place. And friend, I'm telling you, the price is paid in full. The only thing left for you is turn your life towards Jesus. Open your heart to him and allow him to come and to be the Lord of who you are. Is there things to learn? Yep, but it has to start somewhere and it starts by calling upon his great name. And he's in this room. He's here right now. Would you call upon him with me before we pray? I'll not invite you forward. I can't do that even for you on online right now, but for those of you who would say, want to say, Pastor, don't leave me out of that prayer. I know I need God in my life. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I just want to know who we're praying for. And so before we pray, those of you online, there's a, there's a button called raise the hand button on the screen that you're watching on right now. You say, Pastor, I need that prayer. Don't leave me out of that prayer. I want you just to touch that button right now. And it's just basically saying, Pastor, I'm in. I'm in the wheelbarrow with Jesus. I'm saying yes to the Son of God. I'm trusting him. And today I'm receiving what he's offering. And that is a brand new start and a brand new life filled with forgiveness and a new beginning. And friend, if that's what you want, that's what he's offering. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. For those of you who are in the room right now, how many of you would say to me, Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of that prayer. Please pray for me. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, in the privacy of this moment, I just want to know who I'm praying for. Say, Pastor, don't leave me out of that prayer. Pray for me. If that's you, lift up your hand right now, wherever you are. God bless you all over this room, all over. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Anybody else? Twenty. God, twenty-one. Thank you. God bless you. Any, thank you. You may put your hands down. Twenty-two. Twenty-three. God bless you. Anybody else? Lift up your hand wherever you are. Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of this prayer. I know I need Jesus. I need more than a religion. I need a relationship with a God that's going to do life with me. I see you, sir. Twenty-three. God bless you. Anybody else? Maybe you're in this room. I see you back there. 24. 
How many of you would say to me, 25, God bless you, sis, 26. Hey, 27, God bless you, young man. 28, God bless you, dear, God bless you. Maybe you're in the room today and you say, Pastor Pat, you know, I've once known the Lord. But I have to admit today, I'm not living like I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I make my own choices and I do my own thing. And many of the things that I do, Jesus wouldn't be welcome in the room I'm doing it in. And I want to return my heart to God. I want to give God my full heart now. I'm, I, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I need his peace and rest back in my life. I want to serve God in my life. I don't want to just make it easy believism and some religious cantation that somehow is like a rabbit's foot in my life that I'll be okay as long as I go to church every once in a while or just believe in Jesus. No, friend, you got to believe on him. Maybe you're in the room, you say, Pastor, I need to run back to God, and this time I need it to stick. How many of you would say, Pastor, that's me? God bless you. 26, 27, 28, 29. God bless you. 30. Amen. 31. 32, 33, God bless you. 34, God bless you today. Look at me here just for a moment. Maybe you didn't have time to raise your hand today, but there's something crying out on the inside of you. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you've not touched that button yet, but there's something on the inside of you saying, open up the door and do life with Jesus. It's got to be better than where I'm at. I want you to know it'll be get, not only get better, it'll get much better. Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Now, friend, which one you want? The thief taking what you've got and stealing your joy and stealing your victory and leading you into the bent parts of the warped parts of life and sin and darkness? Or do you want the prince of life to come and resurrect in your life the joy that comes out of a pure life? That's what Jesus can do for you. And so I want you to call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you, listen, God loves you today. And he set this whole moment up for you. Pray this prayer with me right out loud, all of us together. Let's lift our voice and God's going to hear you and save you right now. Get ready. He's going to save you right now. Pray this with me. Dear God in heaven, I come in the name of Jesus, the Savior of the whole world, my Passover. I ask you into my life. You died for me. You rose from the dead. I ask you into my life. I receive you as the Lord of who I am. I repent for my sin. And I look to you. Teach me what this means. I know I'll never be the same. Today's my day. I'm coming out of the grave. In Jesus' name. Come on, give me a good amen. Woo! Come on, give God thanks and praise. Woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you online who prayed, DCI ladies, welcome to the family of God. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at LWC Dayton and on Facebook at Living Word Dayton.